0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Bream Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Yes,
1: yeah, so all, all the children are invited, grade school age, for Children's Church. They'll be meeting in the room directly across in that building, so they go out the back and meet uh, Susie. And she'll take the young people over there. And then after the service, parents, if you'd like to go down the hall, turn to your left and go down, uh, you can pick them up there. Thank you guys for leading worship today and for all your work at Vacation Bible Adventure this past week. Uh, we appreciate it so much. Now, this morning, we have a uh, guest uh, pastor speaker uh, with us today. Uh, we have uh, our church as uh, was mentioned this morning. I think that's funny, pastor speaker. <laughs> he's, that's because he's a t- Bible teacher at college. Um, uh, we have our northern northwest Grace youth camp starts today, and that is the churches that we are affiliated with from Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. The young people are all coming over; most of them probably are in transit from the east and the south now, and they'll be going to camp this afternoon. And uh, we are our church is part of the Grace Gospel Fellowship. It is a affiliation of churches around the country, and uh, we have a college in Michigan that we support. Uh, All of our pastors, all three of us have uh, graduated from Grace Bible College and uh, we are pleased today that uh, Professor Phil Long, who is going to be the speaker at high school camp this week, uh, is here today and I've asked if he would come and bring the message. I say pastor, professor, because he teaches on a regular basis on Sunday nights at uh, our church in the Grand Rapids area. He has done interim pastoring and uh, so Phil, I to invite you up Phil has been at Grace Bible College for 15 years he is the professor of Bible and the biblical languages and just about everybody here who's been to grace in the last 15 years has been in his class and so uh, some of them passed and some of them passed <laughs> that's right <laughs> so that's good all right so let's have a word of prayer and Phil I would pray that God's uh, hearts will be open with God's place in your heart today heavenly Father we thank you for uh, bringing Phil out here today, we pray for his ministry camp this week, that it'll, it certainly will touch lives as he opens your word. And Father, we uh, thank you for his willingness to come and share the word with us this morning. May our hearts be open to your word, and may we be blessed by hearing your word this day, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Well, I'm
0: happy to be here. i uh, known about this church my whole life. Uh, and honestly, it doesn't sound that old. Built in 1966. Gosh, that's prime of life. Uh, I was built in 63. So um <laughs> thinking, leave it alone. Don't take anything away. But it's cool that, I guess if I understood this right, I'm the last person to preach from the pulpit in this position. Wow. <laughs> After I preached, I'll have to burn it. And <laughs> Usually when I preach in places, they don't want to move the pulpit forward. They want to push it further back. And, uh, so, uh, Well, anyway, if you have a Bible uh, or something to read a Bible on, uh, open your Bible to the book of Acts. And I'm going to actually preach on the last two verses of the book of Acts. So go to all the way to the end of the book and we'll get to those last two verses eventually. So navigate your way to Acts 28, about verse 30. And I'll set some context there in a minute. Uh, what, I don't know if you do this in this part of the country, but in Michigan, where I'm uh, living in exile right now, um, the uh, uh, big thing to do in March is to fill out the brackets. You know what I mean? That's a big thing here? You know what I mean? Um, I, I've never been that much into it. Uh, when I have participated in this, uh, this spring ritual, it sounds cultic to me when they start talking about it, but there's prizes involved. And so I'm, I'm all about that. And so I fill out the brackets. I don't know that much about college basketball, I'm ashamed to say. And I don't have a really good method for picking who's going to end up in the final four or doing those sorts of things. And usually I just pick the favorite, you know, who the number one, number two, number three. It's those four or five ones I have trouble with. Uh, you know, when I'm going to pick the fourth or the fifth one. And usually by the first or second round, I was... I'm destroyed. I can't, you know, I can't possibly win. And I lose interest in the whole thing. I don't know if you've done this, if you have a method, you know the teams, uh, my wife would choose uh, uniform colors. So. That sometimes works, or I like the sound of Gonzaga. I don't know what that means, but I'm picking them. Uh, Usually you've got a fairly good method or a thing in your head that's making you choose one team or another. Uh, Probably very rarely, if ever, will someone pick Grace Bible College to be in the final four. Uh, Seattle Pacific University, I don't think they're going to make it. Uh, So you've got some some way to do it. I I, I found a, a method. Uh, that really has worked the last couple of years and I'm not a betting man. I don't encourage you to gamble, but I have been 100% right the last two years in filling out my brackets and it really is quite easy. You just fill them in the day after the games and you are 100% right. In fact, I can I can with confidence boldly pick the winners of the games the day after. Now, the reason I bring that up is because the last two words of the book of Acts in Greek, they messed it up in English, but in Greek, the last two things Luke wrote were the words boldly and without hindrance. And kind of when you read those as the last two words and then think back about the whole book of Acts, that's a theme that runs through the whole book. Paul preaches the gospel boldly. And without hindrance for two full years, this verse says at the end of the book, uh, Paul's in Rome. He's been preaching in Rome for two years. He's in chains, but the gospel is not in chains. He he is in house arrest. Yet the gospel continues to freely be preached uh, in a city that really isn't uh, open to the gospel at all. We don't know. Paul doesn't know if he'll be executed. He's going to go before Nero, the Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. and The emperor is going to hear his case. The emperor can have a bad day and just say, you're dead. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Yet the gospel continues to be boldly uh, preached without hindrance, uh, very, but with, with ultimate confidence. Paul continues his mission with boldness, boldness and confidence right up to the very end. And if you were to read the whole book of Acts, you've got to wonder how he could do that because he's in prison. He's shipwrecked. He's beaten. Things keep happening that look like they're hindrances. And why is he so bold? Well, he's so confident uh, in the gospel that he knows that God has put him in this place to preach this gospel that he can say, like me picking the, the games after the fact. Boldly with confidence, I'm going to preach this gospel because I know this is exactly what I am called to do. Let me set the context a little. Back up to verse 25. Um, I'm not really a pastor, but I notice that pastors always do that. They tell you to turn to verse 30 and then they tell you to back up to verse 25. So it's one of those pastor things. Three points and never start on the text you tell people to go to. (laughs) Acts 28:25. 25. Uh, Paul has been in Rome. He's uh, rented an apartment under house arrest. Uh, probably not a difficult uh, situation for him, but he has to pay for all of this himself. Uh, Jews from various synagogues, and there probably were 10 or 12 synagogues, in the city of Rome at this time. So representatives from these synagogues would come to Paul. He can't come to them. And they, Paul would do what he's done in the whole book of Acts. He will try to reason from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, try to win his people, and it almost always ends up in some sort of a split. So uh, look at verse 25. They, the Jews who are hearing this, disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final pronouncement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when they said through the uh, Isaiah, the prophet, go to this people and say you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, Paul says, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So this is the third time this sort of thing has happened in the book of Acts. If you've read the whole book of Acts, Luke likes to tell you a story three times when it's very important. Paul's conversion, you read it three times. There are a few other things that are just repeated and that signals to us this is important. This Rejection of the Jews, if we'll call it, uh, has happened three times now in the book of Acts. Paul spends an entire day preaching and teaching with these Jews. Now that's remarkable in and of itself. If I said, hey, we're I didn't even ask what time I'm supposed to preach till. So if I said, I'll be done about five o'clock, most of you would moan and leave. I would, too. Um, would be very difficult. Uh, but he's he's he's, he's he is preaching and reasoning with these people for an entire day. And he's giving evidence from the scripture, from the law. From the prophets, probably from the Psalms, uh, from other scripture, trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And when you read Christ in the text like that, that Jesus is the Christ, maybe in this case, it's really helpful if you put Messiah in there. He is the Messiah. He is the one the Jews had been looking for. Yet the Jews seem to have missed that when he came and presented himself as the Messiah. Now, after making these arguments, and they're probably very good arguments, they're excellent arguments drawn from Scripture, there's some mixed reaction. Some believed, but others would not believe. They just chose not to believe. And they, they just, this is, this is what you're teaching, Paul. We just choose not to believe it. They're, they're rejecting Paul's gospel. And so Paul calls this, or Luke, I guess, announces this as a final statement. Acts 13, Paul said virtually these same words. Acts 18, kind of, 13 is in the beginning of his ministry. 18, kind of in the middle of his ministry, he says virtually the same words. And again now in Acts 28, he says virtually the same words, that he is turning to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will accept his gospel. This is the third time this has happened. Now, he quoted a, a, an earlier book of the Bible. He quoted Isaiah. He quoted Isaiah chapter 6. And that's a very important text because Paul quotes it twice, three times in his letters. Jesus uses it as well in uh, in Matthew 13 or Matthew 12, I should say, uh, Matthew 13, and a few other places. It's a very important text. It's very interesting because the context of the original pronouncement is Isaiah's call to ministry. So Isaiah is a young prophet, want to be prophet, and God gives him this vision of the, the throne room of God, and God tells him, "You're going to go to the people, and you're going to tell them." Um, this message, and the message is you need to come back to the covenant or you will be judged, but nobody's going to listen. And I just don't understand why he went ahead and accepted that commission. Well, it's because God told him to. He had the vision of heaven. But he was told, you're going to go to a people that are going to hear your message, but they're not going to get it. Uh, they're going to hear your words. They may even like your words, but they're not going to really understand it. And very few are going to turn back to covenant faithfulness. Israel didn't get it when Isaiah went to King Hezekiah or the people at King Hezekiah's time that they needed to keep the covenant or they would go into exile. In Jesus' ministry, he did the same thing. He went to them and said, I'm the Messiah here are the signs, I'm claiming to be the Messiah, I'm proving I'm the Messiah, do you believe? And by and large, they, they did not, they missed it, they heard the words, they liked the parables, they loved the bread and fish, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, do the miracles again, Jesus. Uh, but they never really got it that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul does the same thing, he goes to synagogue after synagogue throughout the, the Greco-Roman world, uh, goes and presents from the scripture the arguments that Jesus is the Messiah, proves it, yet they choose to not believe it. And so this third and final fulfillment right at the end of the book of Acts is, is pretty important because it signals to the reader, I mean, you're running out of the book of Acts anyway, that this is it. Paul has now turned to the Gentiles three times. The Gentiles will be God's people in this age. Well, does that mean that there's no future for Jews, that the Jews are cut off forever? I don't think so. If we had the time... We don't really, but just jot this down. Read Romans 9 through 11. Uh, it's kind of the climax of that section of the book. Romans 9 through 11 is very clear that Jews, the nation of Israel, didn't uh, are not cut off as God's people. Let me just read you a, a verse there. This is Romans 11, 11. Uh, again, Paul says, I ask. Did they, the Jews, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much more greater will their riches be uh, when, uh, when their fullness will their fullness bring? And he goes on to argue that Israel will have those promises made to Abraham, to Moses, to David fulfilled in the future. When Christ returns, he'll regather his people to himself. If we had the time, we could go to the Gospels and tons of that sort of thing there. So Paul is is kind of standing at a funny place in history. It's kind of a transition between the ages. And he said, I have went to the Jews, I have went to the Jews, I have went to the Jews. They've rejected it. Now the Gentiles are going to hear this message uh, and they are going to be the ones who are God's people for the present age. What's interesting to me is despite all of that, despite knowing he was told you're going to go to a people that are never going to get it, Uh, the Jews are going to continue to reject this for your entire ministry. Paul kept doing this. He went with boldness and confidence. Look at those last two verses of the book. Verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in Rome in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. And then, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God, taught and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, boldly and without hindrance, he did these things. Now, I would love to know what happened next. Um, I watch movies sometimes. Is that okay? Churches don't dig that. Um, but one of the things I learned is that you have to watch the credits these days. Because you never know what they're going to put it at the end of the credits. Cause he, and I always like it when you watch through the credits. I always cheer for the gaffer and the best boy, too. Because... They never get any love. Um, it's a gaffer back there. Uh, and uh, uh, so you watch through the credits and you get the where are they now scene or you get some extra little bit of information. And it's kind of cool when they add that little bonus feature at the end uh, and they con you into watching all the credits, too. I guess is why they do that. I would love after the book of Acts fades to black and they roll the credits. If we had one more chapter to tell me what happens next, because you don't know Paul's in prison for two years. You don't know. Does he get out? Does he stay? Does he get executed? Does he get exonerated? Does he uh, does it? What happens? Is the case dismissed? You just don't know. There's a couple of options. I think uh, most commonly he went to trial and was acquitted Uh, in Roman law. You had the right to face your accusers. And it's possible his accusers from Jerusalem never showed up. And so Rome would have released him. When you read uh, first and second, Timothy and Titus, obvious that Paul was out of prison after the book of Acts, did some ministry in Crete, did some ministry in some other places, happened to be back in Rome a little bit later when he was eventually executed. Uh, so I think that's pretty much what happened. And I would love to have Luke have come out with like Luke 3.0, the third book of Acts or whatever that would be. Uh, and nowadays they make you write three books. So they always have to have a trilogy these days. Uh, so it, I don't know, maybe Luke died, maybe Luke didn't care anymore, maybe Luke had other things to do. There's other things that happened. Whatever happened, God didn't want us to know what happened next in Paul's life. I'd love to know. The main reason, though, is that Luke doesn't tell us what happens about Paul later. I've got all these questions. Is that the story of Acts and Luke and Acts together isn't about Paul. It's not the story of Paul's life. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ going out to the entire world. The plot was to get the gospel to Rome, and from Rome it will spread out and change the entire world. Luke does care about Paul, but his main theme is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about Paul. It's about what God is doing in the world. So those last two words of the book, boldly and without hindrance, are a good theme to leave the writer with. This is really the after the credits piece. So you've read the whole book, and if you were reading it in the original language, those would be the last two words in your mind when you finish reading through the book. I don't like how the English translation, I think I read the NIV there, kind of bumps those to the beginning of the verse. I like that Boldly and without hindrance kind of ringing out as you finish the book to speak boldly is to have freedom, uh, fearless speech, uh, being able to say whatever it is that you want to say without worrying about what other people are going to think or do towards you. Uh, think of it like filling out your brackets on the day after the tournament. You always are right. With boldness, you can fill that in. You're totally confident that that's going to happen. If you read through the book of Acts and kind of looked for the word boldness, it turns up quite a bit. Peter and John, when they go up to the temple in Acts 2, speak with boldness. They, they have this, this confidence and they stand up and say whatever they need to say, the Holy Spirit tells them to say, and they are not holding anything back. Uh, you find that in Jerusalem, that the, uh, the Jerusalem church prayed that they would continue to preach the gospel with boldness. Uh, and the The Holy Spirit would fill them so that they would speak with this kind of boldness. Uh, Another sort of aspect of speaking with boldness, though, is knowing that you're telling the truth. Um, I'm not a particularly good liar. I would not be a good poker player. Not that I would play poker. But um, (laughs) I was in some hotel here between here and California, and it was there was an advertisement for. Uh, come online and play poker without money. It's free. And I thought, yeah, you get addicted and then it's for money. And I thought, that's not a good idea. But that whole that whole I couldn't keep a straight face. I go, whoo, an eighth. Oh, seriously, sorry. Um, but if you know the truth, you can say the truth and know that it's absolutely and 100 percent correct. If you think it might be a lie. You might waffle a little bit. If you know you're lying, um, I guess if you're really good at that, you become a politician or something. But... um There's that certain confidence of knowing I'm telling the truth. This is absolutely right. It's the most important message that you you can possibly hear. Paul knows that his gospel is the most important message people have to hear. And he knows it's absolutely the truth. So he speaks it without any sort of embarrassment and incomplete boldness. Then he says without hindrance. Uh, Typically, this would mean something like there's nobody standing in your way. Uh, and it, it is a legal word. Well, this is a very rare word; it only appears here in the New Testament. But when it does turn up in secular Greek, it's used in legal um, contexts. So uh, maybe a legal restraint. Think of a, a restraining order. Not that I've ever had any restraining orders, but I've heard uh, that you know if somebody's bothering you and they're harassing you. You can get a legal restraining order to say this person can't come within, you know, 500 feet of my house or something like that. Stars have to get these for uh, against crazy people. Um, uh, There is nothing restraining Paul. There's nothing hindering him from preaching the gospel. Now, if you think about that, where's Paul when he says, I'm preaching the gospel without any restraint? He's under house arrest in Rome. Uh, while that might not be chained to a wall in a dungeon someplace, there's a certain amount of restraint. He can't leave the house. He has to wait for people to come to him. Uh, There are restraints on his freedom. In fact, if you read the whole book of Acts, it seems like there's a lot of restraining going on. For example, uh, when he starts his ministry, Jews in Asia Minor, you know, the uh, Galatian churches, they're dogging his steps, following him, stirring up trouble. He gets uh, stoned and left for dead in Lister. He gets imprisoned a couple of times. It just is a, it seems as though there's a lot of hindrance and restraining going on. Uh, the Roman Empire really didn't physically restrain Paul until the very end, uh, but he is arrested in Philippi. He's arrested in Thessalonica. He causes a riot in Corinth and is arrested. There are a number of times where he's involved in things where the government itself seems to be conspiring against him. I think you could include um, spiritual restraint there as well. When Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, which is one of his um, earliest letters. He says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3 that Satan um, blocked his way. I wanted to come back to Thessalonica, but Satan quite literally tore up the roads. I couldn't get back. Uh, so all of these things, if you think about it, um, boy, Paul had a lot of. I mean, his his boat ride to Rome he sunk. It actually, says in in Corinthians that he was uh, shipwrecked twice, and that was before Acts twenty seven when he shipwrecked. Uh, so that guy was shipwrecked three times. I would not go on a boat with Paul. I just it's not. You know, <laughs> And it was funny, when you read Acts 27, he's giving all sorts of advice on how to sail the ship. And maybe that's the problem, is he was a backseat sailor or something. Um, but all of this is like, there are huge restraints on his ministry from a sort of secular view. You might think, my gosh, how can Paul say he's doing this without any restraints? Look at all these things that are sort of holding him back. But nothing at the end of the book of Acts hinders the gospel. Paul might be in chains, but the gospel is not, and nothing is going to stop the gospel from going from Rome now to the entire world. This bold preaching continues. Uh, he continues, and he says uh, to, to to boldly proclaim the uh, the kingdom of God, which tells me that he continually uh, for two years is meeting with Jews and explaining to them that Jesus is the Messiah, and this is what the kingdom is about. I think his confidence is based on several factors. First, uh, is that Paul can teach freely and with boldness because his God gospel is based on Jesus Christ. Uh, It's not based on his own thinking or his own outline or he came up with a book. You need to read this. His gospel was solely based on the person of Jesus Christ. All the way through the book of Acts, uh, he preaches that Jesus is the Messiah and that people can be right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And he doesn't really stray too far from that. Let me just give you, I have about four examples uh, here written down, but I, let me just give you one example. This is from Acts 13, and it's his first kind of big sermon in the book of Acts, kind of in the center of the book. In Acts 13, verse 26, he says this. Brothers, sons of uh, the family of Abraham, so he's in a synagogue speaking to Jews, Acts 13, 26. And those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him, Jesus. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. Uh, Paul's sermon here is absolutely based on Jesus Christ, who Jesus was from the prophets in the Old Testament, what Jesus did during his lifetime. And you notice there's no uh, little t- storytelling about Jesus. It's just all the cross. He goes right to the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead. and Because of that, people can have this salvation. Well, this is kind of tempting for modern 21st century Christians uh, to maybe downplay the centrality of Jesus and the death of Jesus in the preaching of the Gospels. Um, in contemporary culture, youth culture, uh, the 18 to 22 year old demographic that I usually work with in my day job, um, there's kind of a, um, a movement uh, to be spiritual without being religious to be have a spiritual experience without encountering Jesus Christ. Uh, and there are a number of these sorts of things. They want to reject religion. They want to advocate loving your neighbor. They want to coexist. If you've seen those bumper stickers in this part of the world, I think you invented them. Um, I've, I've, I particularly like the one that has the Star Trek and the Star Wars logos, and everybody should just get along. I like that one. But uh, it's all the religions are the same. We're all sort of on the same planet. Let's love each other. Um, uh, according to CNN's belief net, which I don't know if you knew, CNN has a religious uh, uh, website. One fifth of Americans they surveyed described themselves as spiritual, but not religious. Uh, they want to have an encounter with God in worship, but not with Jesus Christ. Don't bring up Jesus. And it's maybe a little uh, tempting to say, we want you to have the worship experience. We want you to have the religious experience and we'll sneak Jesus in the back door. Uh, Paul didn't do that. Boldly and without confidence, he proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah and that he died on the cross for your sins. I think it's possible we can um, emphasize social activities. You can keep a church very busy, can't you? You've got all sorts of social events and you've got this thing to go to and that thing to go to and this group to go to. And somehow you missed the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. How did that happen? It's tempting to do that because you can build the numbers pretty easy with the proper programming. Uh, but if you don't preach the gospel, you've missed the point. Paul's preaching centered on Jesus, what he did on the cross, and maybe to kind of tweak the words of the Philippian jail, jailer in Acts 16. Uh, what must I do to be saved? He said. People are out there asking, what must I do to be right with God? What must I do to be saved? Our answer has to be Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul teaches with free freely and with boldness because his um, his gospel was based on scripture. I mean, maybe you heard it as I was reading these texts. He says Christ died according to the scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died according to the scripture. He reasons from the scripture that Jesus is the Messiah. If you go back through the book of Acts and you read all the sermons, not just Paul's, but all the sermons, they say that um, in every sermon, sometimes multiple times. In Acts 13, the text that I just read, uh, he quotes or alludes to or or sort of just uh, alludes just a little bit to about a half a dozen texts from the Old Testament in a very crafty way. He knows his Old Testament very well. He's able to put these things together so that the Jewish audience should go, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. That's That's what he's shooting for. He knows his Old Testament, which was the only scripture they had at that time, very, very well. As a Pharisee, as a Jew, he would have known that. And Paul was able to use that to argue, to prove, to show that this is what God wants from you. that's another problem for contemporary Christians. Um, And really for three reasons. I think we lack some confidence in the Bible as a whole. Uh, For one reason, people are ignorant of what's in the book. Um, uh, Biblical illiteracy is a growing problem. Uh, I teach freshman Bible classes, Old Testament Bible classes. And it's sort of shocking that kids coming from church know most of their, their Old Testament stories were taught to them by vegetables. Um, not that that's a bad thing, uh, but uh, it's I actually had a student tell me one time I didn't do very good on this quiz because there isn't a VeggieTales video on it. <coughs> it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, uh, we, it, Some little bit older people learn most of their Bible stories from the Simpsons version, and that's for another demographic in this group. Uh, There's a real problem to be overcome because sometimes we learn the big stories. Everybody knows David and Goliath, uh, but there's a lot more to what's going on there. There's a general biblical ignorance. Now, parenthetically, your church does really good. Uh, When you send your kids they're they're smarter than the other ones. I'm talking about other churches. (coughs) (laughs) kind of serious there uh but there's there's a general ignorance in the culture 50 years ago when this church was built uh biblical values biblical stories kids went to Sunday school they learned the stories and there were there was more kind of biblical knowledge in the culture that's uh, reduced a great deal in american culture european culture uh there may be also uh some uh some, of some lack of confidence in the bible uh, maybe out of embarrassment because when you do start reading the bible You read some things that are you thinking, wow, I didn't know that was in there. I get that a lot when I teach freshman Bible. I'll have them read a story and they're like, Ehud did what? You know, um. How did David get his wife? There's some just some odd stories and you put them in the right culture. You understand them in the context of how they were originally intended. They make some sense. But there's some stories in there. that are somewhat shocking, especially if you're from the outside. I don't do this very often, but let me quote Richard Dawkins from the pulpit. Then I have to burn the pulpit after this. Richard Dawkins is a um, a radical atheist, one of these outspoken atheists who's read the Old Testament and is absolutely shocked at what he sees. So this is what he wrote in his book, The God Delusion. He said, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. That should be enough right there. Uh, Jealous and proud of it. Petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynist, phobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pentas. Pestilential, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Uh, Well, that's not what I read when I read the Bible. I think he's misinterpreting, misunderstanding it, but you could take verses out of context and not understand them the way they were intended to be understood and say, wow, this God in the Old Testament's a bit angry, isn't he? He is angry for some very good reasons. Uh, we are embarrassed by that, so we keep it at arm's distance. Let's quick go to John 3.16 because everybody likes that one and not have to deal with those tough texts. I think a third reason we sort of become biblically illiterate is because we replace the Bible with other things. And I'm super guilty of this. Um, I'm going to camp next week. I'm not going to do this, but I have done it. Uh, you go to camp. you got a bunch of kids. The thing you do is you find out, what's the popular movie this year? Oh, it's going to be The Avengers last year. It was The Avengers. Uh, how can I work The Avengers into my Bible lesson? I've Pirated off the internet clips of movies that were still in the theater, so I could show these things. I got so much mileage out of The Matrix when it was out. You know, it's, you can make The Matrix a gospel 15 different ways, and uh, I did that a bunch of times. Um, I've seen it done well. I've seen it done really badly. Um, it's easy to re- uh, Lord of the Rings. I mean, by golly, the Coming King. It's so easy. Uh, Gollum looks sort of devil-y. I don't know. You can make it anything to anything you want. Um, I can roll the clip and I can talk about these things and people are going, oh, he's cool. He likes Star Wars. Um, If I've replaced the Bible with the clip, if I've replaced the Bible with the illustration, if my illustration took over and run amok and they don't hear the scripture, I've missed the point. Paul had boldness and confidence because he stood on the foundation of the scripture. The third point is Paul could teach freely and with boldness because his preaching was the fulfillment of God's plan. He knew by revelation from God himself that he was doing exactly what God told him to do. And there's something unique about that in all of history, but Paul knew with absolute certainty he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ based on the scripture because he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. If we were to read Luke acts as a group, because those books are supposed to go together, Luke 1.1 says, I want you to know, Theophilus, the." And have confidence in the accuracy and the things which have been fulfilled among us. God planned it long ago. He fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, or the book of Luke rather, ends with Jesus opening the scripture to the disciples. He says, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And then Acts ends with this confidence based on the word of God that he is doing what God has called him to do. Uh, this is the plan of God from all of eternity past to bring Paul to this point where he's preaching this gospel at this place and this time. How can you not be confident in that if you're doing exactly what God has called you to do? Now, think about the way I started this sermon. I said, if you absolutely knew who was going to win the basketball tournament, you could bet if you were a betting person uh, a lot of money and make a lot of money because You would know with absolute confidence that that was going to be true. You might even have the boldness to bet it all, sell the house, uh, put all the money you have on one game because you knew for certain it was going to come out. You would have that kind of confidence. Well, Luke tells us at the end of this book of Acts that we can have the confidence that the gospel is true. It's based on Jesus Christ. It's based on the scriptures, which God has planned all along. You can have absolute confidence and boldness. I'm kind of curious why we get so hindered in our gospel presentation. Why do we fall back to uh, the illustration? Why do we get scared of the scripture? Why do we get scared of saying Jesus died for your sins? We need to absolutely stand on the foundation of scripture and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with the same boldness and confidence that Paul did in the book of Acts. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this uh, church, and I do thank you for the fact that they do, in fact, stand for the gospel. Uh, they do preach your word uh, very clearly from this pulpit. I do thank you, Lord, that they are uh, a church that is interested in evangelism and bringing the gospel to uh, people, not just uh, not just kids, but adults as well. I do pray that you would continue a uh, blessing in this congregation and working in this church. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Thank you, Phil, for sharing God's word with us today. You glad you came to church today? Amen. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ like we just sang about, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Pray for you as you go your way this week that God will use you to share the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. I appreciate his emphasis this morning on God's Word. As he mentioned, this is, uh, this is preeminent in our ministry. Uh, and also this week at camp, they will be teaching. They will be having a lot of fun. I can guarantee you that. But they also will be teaching God's Word to junior high and senior high young people. Earlier this morning, I had the privilege of joining uh, seven other adults. And we got to go up to the high school department and we had a little contest. And we had three groups, two groups of teens and one group of adults. And, and we, uh, we were going over the Bible memory verses that we've been, I think it was like 27 of them, 27 that we've memorized so far. And as a team, we got to say them. We had a lot of fun. And, but there were a lot of Bible verses that were memorized and that were shared. And I really appreciate how Chuck wrapped it up and said, "Now, you know, this—this is—we're all winners here because we have memorized God." Well, one team did win, Alex, didn't they? In our defense, we're number one. (laughs) (laughs) Combined score of the high schoolers, yes, (laughs) but we had a high school judge, and she was really gracious to us. But anyway,
0: Uh, but as Chuck said,
1: now how he asks questions as you're learning these verses. Uh, what what were you thinking about? How did this impact you? What did God do in your life? And that's why, And you know, it's, it's it's wonderful. We have a memory verse for next, for this week, week 30 in your bulletin. I encourage you, take a few minutes, memorize the verse. Take a few minutes, read God's Word. It is not difficult. It was written for people like us. And I want to encourage you this week, read God's Word. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time with him. And God bless you for coming today and sharing in this worship service. And you guys have a good week at camp this week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a place to come. Even as we mentioned earlier about uh, this, this building built in 1966 and our youth center added uh, in 1973. Father, we're just blessed to have a place that we can come, that we can freely, without hindrance, open your word, proclaim it. And we pray, Lord, as we've been reminded today, that we would be, uh, we would be brave and bold and proclaim your word and not, uh, not let it be ever become secondary. We thank you for a, a faithful congregation to provide this facility and that we can use it. And I just, I thank you, Lord, for the way it's used throughout the week, for Bible study fellowship, for Chinese Christian fellowship, for our own programs, youth and children, our adult ministries, outreach events, the picnic this last week that so many came and shared along with BBA throughout the week. We're just so blessed. And Father, we just pray that we will continue to keep your word central to all that we do and that people will know that they can come here and they can hear God's word and they can be introduced to the God of the Bible who loves them, who provided salvation, who cares about them. And Lord, that we together would be a testimony of your grace and mercy. We go this way, go our ways today to boldly proclaim and to live your word. In Christ's name, we have gathered today and all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen.